All right. Well, good morning again. My name is Brandon. I'm part of the Dream Team here. It's good to have you. Hope everybody had a, a wonderful Halloween. Um, got lots of candy, lots of rotten teeth out there, I'm sure. <laughs> I want to tell you, you can turn me down just a little bit, Austin. Uh, I want to tell you a story about my, my middle boy, Carter. He's six. We're, we connect. We're one and the same. He's my little mini-me, but they were out trick-or-treating. I was on shift at the fire department, uh, so I wasn't there, but my, my wife was telling me about it. They were out trick-or-treating, and they come up to this one house, and it's an older gentleman there that answers the door, and, and he says, sorry, guys, we don't give out candy here. We got biscuits, and we got cornbread. That's it. And my middle boy, Carter, without missing a beat, he said, I'll have cornbread. <laughs> and I was like, man, that's a proud dad moment right there. That's a proud dad moment. That's what I would want, too. So, um, I want to talk to you uh, about something this morning that, that has been on my heart. Um, and it was important enough that Pastor Brandon al- allowed me to interrupt the, the sermon that we've been in, the sermon series, to talk about it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you something that's heavy. It's real heavy. And I want to warn you up front. I'm going to keep it as vague and PG as possible. But I think it's important that you know what's going on in the community around us. I I work for the fire department. Uh, Earlier this week, we had uh, two runs come in, same night. One of them was a stabbing. One of them was an overdose that resulted in death. Um, it was a rough night. And I began to think about that. And as I was praying for those families, I really felt the Holy Spirit begin to tell me something. Now, I would be a liar. I've been in the fire department for 15 years. And if I told you that drug-related incidents like this were uh, a new thing, I'd be lying to you. They're not. Uh, It's been a problem since day one in our community. But what has changed is the age of the victims in the incidents. These two boys, 16 and 17 years old. 16 and 17. No second chances. They're coming less and less. And there's situations that come about like this, and it's sad. But something as small as your fingernail and less than a monetary value of $50 maybe, somebody's willing to give their life up over for because it has such a strong root in them. At 16 and 17 years old, and these boys haven't even lived enough life to see the greatness that God has for them. And the reason that I tell you this is what I want you to see is that it just takes a seed. The smallest of things to radically change somebody's life. And the difference in the seeds is the people who cultivate them. Whether the seed gets cultivated and rooted in sin or righteousness. But it all starts with just a seed that's planted. And I want you to understand that God has called us 
to be the cultivators. We're the ones who can decide what radically gets changed, what seeds harvest, what seeds grow and flourish. And we can't save all of them, but we can certainly save a lot of them. And so that's kind of where this message is coming from this morning. Every great thought, every great battle, every great change in the world starts with a thought. And when that thought gets cultivated in righteousness, the way that God intended it to be, radical changes can be made. So the title of the message this morning is Radical Kindness and Generosity, How We're Supposed to Give and How We're Supposed to Live. I want to tell you about what... um, I see when I think about RLC, okay? I stole this picture from, I'm sure you've seen it, it's familiar to you. This is from our Practicing Resurrection series. And uh, when I think about RLC, this is what I see. Now, I'm not vision casting here, okay? I don't don't know, but this is just selfish Brandon hopes for RLC, what I could feel that we could possibly get to. This is us down here. We're the roots, the seed planters, the cultivators, And the better that we cultivate the seeds, the better that we're able to help, the deeper our roots grow. Okay? The more love that we're able to give. And the deeper the roots grow, the sturdier the tree. The better the harvest. So I see this up here, the trunk, the leaves, as the harvest. And to me, that's our children. And our children's children. And my hope for RLC is that our roots can come so deeply implanted in our community that we can make an impact that our children feel and that their children's children feel, whatever that may be. But it'll take radical kindness and generosity to get there, whatever that may look like to you. To me, it's the RLCC Counseling Center. I want it to spread all over Bowling Green. I want people to have lasting answers, not temporary ones, some place that they can turn to. Maybe it's a building. Maybe it's a building for us in the future, and it's paid for, so our kids have got a place that they can always go and turn to God, and they don't have to worry about it. But I want people to look at RLC and say, they're different over there. There's something different about them. They're serious. They're getting radical over there, and they're making changes. So that's what, this is what I see when I think about that. But what it takes to get there, what it will take to make change, is something that we all have to face together. Radical kindness and radical generosity. And we do that because it's how God called us to give, but more importantly, it's how God called us to live our lives. All right? Still with me? All right. First things first, before we get started, uh, what I want to do is is I want to debunk, okay, two of the biggest myths that we've ever heard about giving, okay? Giving, kindness, whatever you choose to call it. So the first one is this, okay? The first one is God doesn't need me. The church just wants my money. God can do it without me. How many of you ever felt that way? Good, good. Uh, bunch of liars, bunch of liars. I've felt that way before. 
I've felt that way before. I'm sure we all have. I hope you don't feel that way about us. Okay, I, don't ho- I hope you don't feel that way about here. If you haven't noticed, we're in a shopping center. The roof falls in sometimes, okay? It takes money to turn the lights on. It takes money to pay the staff of the church. And that's the truth of it. And the church does want your money. But it's not for what you think it's for. Giving to God and his ministry, be it at a church or some other ministry, is one of the greatest acts of worship to Christ that we can do in our daily lives. And it says, it says to the Lord and it says to those around us that we know that there is a greater source of wealth than what this world can offer. Okay? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 11, it says it like this, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Proverbs 18.16 says, A gift opens the way and ushers a giver into the presence of the great. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be ushered in the presence of the great? The other myth is this. It says, God doesn't need me. I don't have anything. I don't have anything to give. What could I give that's worth giving? Again, this is simply not true. As a matter of fact, I might even call this an excuse. And you know what? An excuse is only good to the person that makes it up. And here is exactly why we all have something to give. Giving and generosity is not about what you give. It's about a condition of the heart. And it comes in many forms. It is an act of worship. And it's not necessarily always a monetary thing, though when you say giving, that's kind of what pops in your mind. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says it like this. Each of you should decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under any compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each of you has to decide what you might give. What God is calling you to do. It's kind of the reason why we don't pass around offering buckets or anything like that. Because it's not about getting. The giving is about your decision. The act of your heart. A worship to God coming from you. In other words, you might say we're not called to give when we feel like it. We're not called to give when things are going our way. We're called to give as an act of worship. And it, become, it comes from the beginning of everything that we're given. Okay? Everything that we have, not what's left over. God promises in Luke six thirty eight, Give and it will be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken up. And stirred together, running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure that you use is what will be measured to you. Radical kindness. Radical generosity. So what is it that we have to give? How do we do that? 
What does God need from us? What does our community need from us? Now, I want to talk to you today about three specific things that I think God has called all of us to give. Three things that encompass what radical generosity is. Now, you have to decide how much of each of these you give. But what I want you to know is that the Bible has called us to do all of them. The first of these is this. God calls us all to give love. To give love, kindness, compassion. Okay? Some of us are blessed with an abundance of patience. An abundance of understanding. I wish I had more of that. It's a gift. And it's a very rare gift. Okay? But it's something to give and it's very important. Giving love to others outside of what you do in a professional manner, is a, fa- is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to God. You know, Jesus possessed all gifts, all things great. But he was particularly good at this one. We see it all through his ministry. The caring, the kindness, the understanding, the healing. Maybe this is your gift. Maybe you can use it to worship God. There are people that are prayer warriors. I want to tell you about the types of people that these are. They're prayer warriors. They will drop something in a moment's notice to pray with you. They're continually checking on you. People with this gift, they make amazing accountability partners. They always answer the phone when you call. They're always willing to let you talk. The answer is never, I can't right now, or can I call you back? Your problems are their problems. When they're hurting, or when you're hurting, they're hurting. They're the Lord's counselors. More often than not, I've met some of these people, it's true, they give the best hugs. You ever hug somebody that gives a good hug? There's just something about a person that, that has this gift. And when you hug them, oh, it's just like a weight that's lifted that you didn't even know was carrying around. I got an aunt, my Aunt Liz. She gives the best hugs. Every time I hug her, I'm like, oh, man, I needed that. My grandmother, uh, Mimi, when I was a kid, she used to come over every Sunday Nonstop, every Sunday she'd be over early to pull me out of bed and take me to Sunday school. Every time that she would come over, I'd, I'd still be in bed. And she would come in, she would pull the covers off of me, and she'd start to scratch my back. And I would melt. I loved it. <laughs> it's the reason I never got out of bed on Sunday. <laughs> I was waiting for that. It made me feel good. And it was just an action. I'm 37 years old now. Every time I see my grandmother, she hugs me and she scratches my back. 37 years old. And I still let her do it. I still love it. It's a gift. And you know what it is? You know what it is when you hug a person like that? When you feel that love radiating off of them? It's the presence of God. It's God, and he's shining through them radical kindness. 
to be able to not say a word and to be able to lift a, lift a weight from you, to be able to soften your heart. That's radical kindness. Never underestimate the power of a well-timed hug. Maybe a hand on the shoulder, a prayer for somebody. Radical kindness. There is absolutely no shortage of the need for that. I can promise you. Radical kindness can plant a seed. And it can change somebody's life. The second way that God calls us to give. Giving of your time. Giving of your gifts. Your talents. God has blessed each of us with amazing gifts, unique talents that allow us to be able to serve each other in a specific way. Maybe this is your act of worship. I'm always astounded at the number of people uh, for the size of the church that we are that show up to serve others in the community when we have serve day. It's amazing. It's a gift that our church has, and it's a gift that God has put in you guys to help people. I want to tell you about these people. They're strong people with this gift, and they're the ones standing at the doors. You may see them in the back of the sanctuary waiting for somebody to need something. They're the ones that set up the chairs, the ones that stack the chairs. They're the ones that want to know, how can I help you? What can I do for you? A lot of times, they're great multitaskers. And for a lot of us, if you're like me, at the end of the day, you're trying to fit everything in. These people seem to be able to do it in a way where there's extra time at the end of the day. And with that extra time, they want to know, how can I help you? What can I take off of your plate? How can I make your day better? They're not interested in recognition, though they deserve it. They're quiet worshipers, and they're the ones that make it all happen. They're God's volunteers. And they're up for any task. They're the first to show up. And they're the last to leave. Do you feel like that's you? Do you feel like God has called you to fill a need in that area that you've been pushing away from? There's a, um, a new movie out I watched the other day. I don't even know if it's new, honestly. But there's a movie I watched for the first time the other day. I don't know if you've seen it. I, thought it, I think it was on Netflix, Disney+. Plus. The Bad Guys. You ever seen the bad guys? It's a cartoon. If you don't have, if you, don't have, if you, if you have kids, maybe you've seen it. Anyways, the premise behind the movie—I don't want to ruin it for you—but it's a story, and it's told from the perspective of the normal villains of the story: the snakes, the sharks, the big bad wolves. Okay, so the narrator of the of the movie is the big bad wolf, and basically, what happens to make a long story short is is in the midst of doing something bad, the big bad wolf accidentally does an act of kindness. Accidentally, unintentionally helps somebody. And it stops him, and it makes his hair quiver, and then his tail starts wagging for some reason. And he feels something. There's something in him that wells up inside that he's never felt before. And it was so amazing that it actually scares him in the movie. And he tries to run away. I recommend you watch the movie. I don't want to tell you the end. But what I love about it is 
I love when Hollywood catches up with the Bible, okay? Hollywood is telling a story about what the Bible has taught us from day one. There is something greater that wells up in you through goodness and through service to others, and it can't be felt in any other way. It's a feeling that can't be explained, and and the only way that I know to explain it to you is there is a moment when it feels like every puzzle piece seems to fit perfectly for the very first time. It's a brief moment when you can see the world the way that Christ intended it to be, when others were helping each other. I'll tell you, the most radical time I saw it was a tornado. I told you that. All that destruction, all that destruction, people's lives ruined, but this beautiful picture of service painted in the middle of it, the way that God intended us to serve each other. I didn't see a single person that cared about what they needed. Even the people that lost their houses, even the people that lost their family members were out there helping other people. You know what that is? It's the presence of God. It's the presence of God in radical service to each other. Radical generosity. And it plants some powerful, powerful seeds. It's amazing. And when those seeds can get cultivated in righteousness by the people that know how God intended it to be, the harvest, unimaginable. It's the most beautiful thing to see somebody living for somebody else. The third way that God calls us to give, probably the way that we most think, monetarily. Tithing. Your money. All in the Bible, called to do it. Give to God's ministry. Now, why would this be so important to God? Because the truth is, is God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He gave it to you in the first place. Everything that we had is given from God. So why does he want it back? Why is it important to have a little bit back? I think that this particular seed is so important because it can be so very powerful if sown and harvested correctly, but it can also be so very destructive if sown the wrong way. Finances are personal to people. More people worry about their finances than they even worry about their family, about their marriage, about their kids' future. They're more worried about your finances. And here's the truth, is that God wants good for us, and some of us have the gift of wealth building. It's a gift from God. Some of us have it. You're a hard worker, okay? You see a need, and you can easily conceive a solution. Problem solvers. And when you can align that amount of capability with your faith in God, amazing, amazing things can happen. Seeds can be planted, 
and lives can be changed. The problem comes when those things can't be aligned with godly finances. The Bible says it like this in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there isn't even enough room to store it. What's interesting to me about that is this right here. Test me in this, God says. Did you know that this is the only place in the Bible that the Lord Almighty allows you and calls upon you to test Him? That's how important it is. Test me in this, says the Lord. Because when your faith and when your finances align, seeds are fruitful. And they're fruitful through all the seasons of your life. I want to tell you a story. Another story. I'm a storyteller. This is the first time I ever saw God in my finances. I told this story in our foundations class last month. Uh, and I may have told it in here before too. I can't, I can't remember. This is the first time... I ever saw God aligning with my finances. Now, this isn't the first time it ever happened, okay? This is just the first time that I was able to step outside of my selfishness, my self-centeredness, and actually realize what God was doing in my life. Um, I had my very first real job, tax-paying job, 15 years old. Worked at Annie Ann's Pretzels. Best pretzel maker there was there. I'm telling you, they don't... And nobody's done it right since, they said. <laughs> Fifteen years old, uh, my first real tax-paying job. I worked full-time since I was 16 up until the minute that I joined the military out of high school when I was 18. I wasted so much money between the ages of 15 and 18. I have literally nothing in my life to show for that other than lessons learned, Okay? <laughs> A car. I bought a car and I paid, you know, my insurance and things like that. But it was a very, very important time in my life too. And you have to make your own decisions. But I think it's so very important. That's why it's so very important to allow our children and our kids to start working and cultivating from a young age. Because even though I gained nothing monetarily from that and I wasted and squandered everything that I made, it seemed like, it allowed me to learn the opportunity of the value of the dollar, which is very important. How much work and how much sweat it came into to gaining that, and then how quickly it went out. And, and it made me think about what I could have done, and what I could have done better. So when I got into the military, um, when I was 20 years old, uh, Lydia and I got married. And we got married young. I was 20. She was 18. And up to that point, I knew nothing about giving or tithing aside from maybe putting a few dollars in the bucket at youth group on Sundays. That was it. I'd never done it. Thankfully, Lydia did. Okay? So when we first combined our finances, she was very adamant about tithing to God first. 
where I was very much compelled to be on the other end of the rope because I felt something that I never felt before. And to me, this is the moment in time, no matter the age, of when a boy transitions to a man. Doesn't matter the age. This moment in time, to me, is when it happens. The moment that you realize that God created you to take care of somebody else. Up until that point, I had lived for me only. Just me. What I needed. And to be honest with you, there was a little bit less weight with that because I was fine with a little. I was going to make it. If I wasted it, no big deal. But when I met Lydia, my opinion about money changed. All of a the sudden, there was a weight, a desire, a love to be able to give her what she needed and what she wanted. And I learned something in that when, So it, it, it honorably made me want to be on the other end of the rope. When she wanted to give, I was very much about making sure our family was taken care of first. An honorable thing. Not saying that. It's not. I wanted to make sure that we were taken care of first, that she had what she needed, and then, if there was any leftover, then we'd give. So the time came, we combined our finances. Not long after that, we, we began tithing. We began tithing with our finances. Um, we got married not long after that. And we began looking for a house. Now, in the military, the way it works is you can either live on base housing or you can get an allowance, a month-to-month allowance for housing, and you can find your own place to live. So, if you've been in the military, I don't need to tell you, base housing is not the greatest thing in the world. So, a lot of people opt to find their own place to live. And me, having this new desire to make sure that Lydia was taken care of, that was my desire. I don't want to live on base. I want to shield you from that lifestyle. The houses were old. A lot of them were painted cinder block walls. And we would have been fine. But... That desire in me to give her what she needed took over. And so we decided to look for, take the allowance and look for our own place to live. But there was nothing. We looked for a long time. We had $800 to spend, which isn't a lot to pay for a house. And there just wasn't a lot available. And all I wanted was something safe. We were not in the best area. That's how most military bases are. And so what happened was we ended up driving. We ended up about 20 minutes up the road in a town called Newburn, closest town to where we were stationed. And we had been driving around all day, and we'd been calling for days prior to that, looking for a place to rent, looking for a safe place. It was me, my mother-in-law, and Lydia. I was driving and they were calling and, they, and looking. We turned into this neighborhood in New Bern, And we got in there and it was a country club. A golf country club. Houses were beautiful, spectacular. These were the people that were ending up in life, okay? These are not the people that were starting out in life. 
immediately, I said, we're going to flip it around. This isn't our neighborhood. This is not us, okay? We don't belong here. And my mother-in-law, woman of faith, said, you know what? Let's just drive around. Let's just look. Okay, whatever. So I turned down the first road on the right. Sneed Road, that's what it was called. Get to the very end. I'm not even looking. Get to the very end, see a for rent sign in a yard. Beautiful house. Two-story house. Nothing we needed. Ridiculous. Fifth hole of a golf course on a country club. I said, I'm not even calling that number. I'm not even calling it. Don't even worry about it. Ain't happening. My mother-in-law, woman of faith, woman had been trusting in God for years, said, well, let's just call. Let's just call and see. So we did. She had it on speakerphone. I said, it's pointless. Pointless. She said, hey, we're we're just calling about the house. We saw you had a, a for rent sign in the yard. And we were just seeing, you know, can you tell us about the house? Can you tell us how much it is? $1,700 a month. Over double. And and it was fairly priced. I'm not saying that that wasn't fairly priced for the house that it was. I simply want you to understand what we were looking at. Over double what we were allotted to spend. She said it. I said, forget it. We're getting out of here. We're getting out of here. And she, she heard me and she said, wait a minute. She said, are you at the house now? My mother in law said, yeah. Yeah, we're right out front. She said, let me come over. I want to meet you guys. And she came over. She lived around the block. And after talking to her and meeting us, she said, look, here's the deal. She said, my best friend bought this house. She can't move here for 14 months, 15 months. It's not really about the money. It's not why we're renting it. The rent's high because we want to make sure that we can get somebody good in there that can take care of the house for her until she can get here. She said, what can you pay? We said, not nearly that. She said, well, what can you pay? We said, $800 a month. She said, okay. Done. Cheers. $800 a month. And we rented a house on the fifth hole of a country club golf course in Newburn, North Carolina. Way out of our price range. My point is this. I almost walked away from that blessing from God twice. The moment that I pulled into the neighborhood and the moment that we saw the sign and we saw the house. Because I thought that he couldn't do that for us. Because I was unwilling to believe that that was possible. Now the money that we saved on that house, the, the you know, $800 or whatever it is, the money that God allowed for us wasn't even close to what we were giving not even close. But because God 
had put it in Lydia's heart to align her faith with her finances, no problem. No problem. And here's what I want you to see about this. It's the only way I know to explain it. You can hold on tight to this and you can have a death grip on it and you may never lose it and you may have it. The problem is is when you're holding on to this you can't pick anything else up. When your heart and your hand is so tightly clenched around the things of this world there's no room for you to open up and receive the things that aren't of this world. The things this world can offer. The goodness you can feel serving somebody else. The blessings that God can really take a hold of you with your money, with your time, and with your love, and what He can do in your life if we can align those things. You can't do it if you're holding on so tight that you can't open up. And here's the deal. Some of us are so full of love and kindness that just a drop of what we have could color somebody's life, could change it. But you're scared. You're so scared that you might have to tell somebody what you've been through that you're not willing to open up about it. Some of us are so talented. God has given us so many gifts, so much effort that we're Mack trucks made to carry a load. And we got two bags of quickcrete on the back. Okay? We're not carrying it. And then there's others of us that are talented, but we're half-ton trucks. And we got three or four pallets of concrete in the back, and we're overloaded. And God needs you to use your time and your talents to plant those seeds. And when you can align that with His will, you can change people. Some of us, wealth builders... We're good at this. God's given it to you for a purpose. And when you can align godly finances with a godly faith, immediate change begins. It's a sacrifice that will pour out goodness and flow into every place in the community around you. Because when God calls us to give, whatever it may be, it's not about what you give. It's about how you give it. It's about what it does to your heart. It's about what God can take and do through you. How many lives can you change? But the problem is, is that some of us are holding on so tight, we're scared. We're stuck in the what ifs. What if the market falls? What we're saying. Instead of 
what if God could take this and feed families? We're saying, what if I don't get this job? When God's saying, what if I gave you a business, not a job? What if I built something for you to give to your children and their children? And we say, what if it doesn't make a difference? And God says, test me, test me and see if I can't do it. See if I can't do it. See if I can't spread the counseling center all over Bowling Green. Test me. See if I can't put you guys in a building. See if you can't pay it off. See if your children's children aren't worshiping in the same house of God where you planted seeds years and years before. But what it takes, the very most basic of calling, kindness, love, generosity. It's time. It's time to get radical. It's time to change people. It's time to let God have control. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're so thankful the opportunity to be with you in your house that you've blessed us with. To be able to serve you and to serve those around us, Father. I pray that you will just continue to soften our hearts. Open us up to what you would be guiding us to do. Where you want us to go. Where you have our future planned out. I'm so thankful for the people with the gift of love that are willing to pour into us and into our community and into this church and those around us. For those willing to step out in faith and say, I'm on your team, God. I'm going to do it for you because you've called me to. Lord, thank you for our volunteers, for their gifts and their talents, for the things that they bring to the table, for the recognition that they deserve but they never receive, Father. We're so thankful for them and the continued faithful mindset that they have to give you all the glory. And Lord, we're we're thankful for those wealth builders who are willing to step out in an act of faith and finance your ministry to be able to say that the wealth that I want is not of this world, but is an eternity. That I don't store my treasures here on earth, Father, that I looked to you for what I need. And Lord, we are thankful for those people that you would do amazing and abundant things in their lives and in the people around us. And we ask, Lord, that you would just come upon our community and our church and our people in this world with amazing change. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just a minute, we're going to stand together and we're going to continue to worship. Uh, I want to tell you about one more thing really fast before we close out. Lydia and I, we have a, um, a creed or a motto that we wrote 
a while ago for our family. I want to pull it up for you here. Now, we wrote this together. It hangs in my office. I don't know if you can see that. I'm just going to read it to you because you can't see it. But I want you to think about this. And I want you to sit down with your family and think, what is God doing in my life? What does God want others to see from me? Write it down. Write yourself a creed. Why are you living? What's the purpose? Ours says this. You start it with your name. It says, we are the Gillums. We want to be a representation of Christ to those around us, bringing honor to him and to our family. As we show Christ, we will love each other unconditionally, assume positive intent, encourage vulnerability and honesty. Seek to understand, but extend grace. Support each other in failure and celebrate success. Forgive freely. Protect each other and cherish the time that we have together. This last part is my favorite. It means everything to me. It says, above all else, we pursue Jesus Christ in the way that he would have us live. And we know that we honor him when we love each other well. And that's what's important. That's how we get there. That's how change is made. We love each other. We give to each other. We serve each other. Let's all stand together. We're going to close out in worship.